if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob Fratt's Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock. Thank you for being with us. It is a Wednesday, the 28th morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord 2020. We are less than a week away from deciding the fate of America's future. Whether or not we remain a free, um, liberty-loving capitalist society or whether or not we descend into the hell that is socialism, it is all up to us. Uh, thanks again for uh, being with us this morning. Coming up at 1035, we will talk about a number of issues related to our sovereignty and what the future of this country holds for you if unchecked illegal immigration is allowed to resume, if amnesty is granted to 11 million, if pathways to citizenship are granted to 11 million and more. R.J. Hallman of Federation for American Immigration Reform will be joining us. If you let the Democrats win, all of those are considerations as well. Um, I want to hit this quick audio clip before I go back to the phones because it follows up on uh, my commentary regarding Black Lives Matter, the city of Cleveland, the number of homicides, the extraordinary increase in the number of homicides, and the racial demographics of those killings as it pertains to BLM, the Marxist organization that pretends they care about black lives. Dan Bongino is a former uh, police officer and a former Secret Service um, uh, member as well, and he said this about what's going on in Philadelphia and beyond. Wait, when is someone going to start speaking out for the cops outside of conservative media and for law and order? Um, when is someone going to start speaking out for process? Uh, you had a man with a knife. Now, this is going to be reviewed. If these cops broke the law, they'll be charged. If they broke use of force policies, there'll be administrative sanctions. But why do you think those cops were there? Uh, what, what do you think they were there because they wanted to roast marshmallows? I mean, when you hear in the street, hey, there's a guy down the street waving a knife. What do you do? Um, you run. What do cops do? They run towards the problem. And yet every time we have a use of force incident now, before we've seen an administrative or a criminal review of the case, we're now what? Looting the local Walmart and going Christmas shopping? Where are the Democrats out speaking out against no. this? Listen, and by the way, one more thing, Sean. They teach you in most police academies that within 20 or so feet, a knife is a deadly weapon. Uh, 
you, when you charge at someone with a knife, you can close that distance in just seconds. And body armor is not designed for pointed uh, implements like an ice pick or a knife. It's designed for ballistics. All right, let me get her- That's extraordinarily important information, as I talked about before. There's a reason. You Do you know why guns were invented? Guns weren't invented to kill. Guns were de- invented to protect and defend. I mean, I mean, literally. You know, the, the wars used to be fought before the invention of the firearm. They used to be fought with what? Arrows and spears, which were preferable to swords and knives because you could protect yourself from a distance. Now, yes, of course, inevitably, those those weapons were, uh, you know, transformed from just being defensive to being offensive. But the point is, you know, there used to be fights used to be conducted with bare hands, then with rocks, then with knives and edged weapons, swords and knives. And eventually somebody said, you know, I don't like being cut when I'm fighting with somebody with my sword. I think I'd like to uh, take them out from a distance. And they came up with arrows and they came up with spears. And, of course, eventually they came up with guns. Cops don't want to get into knife fights. They don't want to be cut. They don't want to be killed by being stabbed or having their, their throat slashed or anything else. And so when a nut job with a criminal record in particular advances upon them with a knife, this is the same guy that raps about wanting to kill cops who has two full of violent felonies on his record, one of which was punching a, a cop in the face, and he pled guilty to it, which means he did much worse than that. Um, when this guy comes at them with a knife, their job is to kill that individual, stop that individual from a safe distance. And that is exactly what they did. And as you heard Bongino, as a result, uh, people decided to go free Christmas shopping at the Walmart and the Five Below and the Nike store and this store and that store and everything else. And, all co- and once again, creating more innocent victims. In these communities in Philadelphia, because all of these stores are now going to be closed because they've been ransacked and destroyed and burned and smashed and stolen from. All those businesses are closed, which means all of the employees who worked at those businesses are now out of work. They're out of work. And many of them are never going to get those jobs back because many of those business owners have seen enough. They already experienced this back in the summer after the George Floyd incident. Another story, another time, but they experienced it. And I was watching an interview with a store owner in Philadelphia who got robbed and ransacked and looted the first time around. He rebuilt, and now it happened again. He's not going to rebuild again. You know how many of these business owners are going to say, the heck with this, I'm out of here. I can't, I can't run a business in the middle of a war zone because of the animalistic nature of some of the people who live here. Their first thought is to immediately attack in a pack mentality over something that they have no earthly idea if, if anything was wrong, wrong was done. And even if they did have an idea that something wrong was done, that the right way to deal it is to victimize all of these store owners and, and, and uh, employees. It's just insanity. Let's go to um, Elias, who's been waiting patiently in Cleveland on AM 1420, The Answer. Elias, go ahead answer. Yeah, how you doing? I'm glad to hear, to hear you're back. Anyways, uh, the difference is uh, didn't Obama say that if they bring a knife, we bring in a gun? So what's the difference? If a, yeah, yeah. If, let's say, uh, first of all. Second of all, Joanne and Tanya took my, uh, I want to comment on them. I was going to say the 
the Republican defend the Constitution, Democrat denigrate it. So there's a big difference between the Republican and the Democrat. We pray, they don't. So we got to get to the people that don't pray, or, I mean, that uh, to convince them that, hey, there's a difference between the Republican and the Democrat. Republican defend the Constitution, Democrat don't want it. That's what we need to let these people that's on the fence know the difference between us and them. Well, Elias, I'll tell you what, I agree wholeheartedly. That's why I spent the first 20 minutes of my monologue this morning talking about the difference. They literally do not believe in the Constitution, or what they know of the Constitution they believe is evil. That's why Ed Markey, and not one Democrat has has, uh, repudiated his remarks, have, have disavowed his remarks, said that originalism, meaning believing in the original intent of the Constitution, is racist, sexist, homophobic, and discriminatory. Not one of them have disagreed with him. This is a member of their own party in the United States Senate. So you're right. Some, you know, uh, w- what we are is, in, in, in a, in, in, at the risk of being hyperpartisan here, what the conservative Republican uh, uh, is, is a believer in God and a believer in righteousness and a believer in uh, liberty and a believer in our Constitution, which guarantees us all liberty. And the other side wants to destroy all of the above. And that is, um, that is a very dangerous thing. We do need to make sure people know that. I say is, put the criminal in the police's shoes and the shoes of the police and the criminal case. Let's say if the the police has got a knife and the, 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 the criminal's got a gun and shot the police. What's the difference? You know, people got to yeah, wake well, up and understand the difference. You know? And they, they do. And, like and I'm I glad saying, you reminded Senator us. Lee, Go ahead. Senator Lee defend the Constitution. Marquis denigrated. That's, a, that's the two different things that, you know, people need to wake up and look at what's going on. If the Democrat you're, takes you're, over... We are done. You are a thousand percent correct. And I'm glad you brought up, uh, Eli, and thank you for the phone call, sir. Um, I'm glad you brought up Barack Obama. Um, Because you're right. I I had to go back and find it to see when he said this. And it was actually before he was elected. I have this being dated 6-14-08. Of course, he was elected in 2008. Barack Obama is warning supporters that the general election fight between him and John McCain may get ugly, writes The Hill. But the Illinois senator is vowing not to back down, quote, if they bring a knife to the fight, we bring a gun, end quote. Now, I want you to ponder that for a moment because I've kind of forgotten about that comment. How would the media cover this if Donald Trump said in the election fight against Joe Biden, if they bring a knife to the fight, we bring a gun? What would the lamestream media do if Donald Trump said we bring a gun? You know the headline in the New York Times tomorrow morning would be Trump threatens to murder Biden. You know that the lead story on CNN and MSNBC and all of the Alphabet Networks would be Trump threatens to shoot to defend his presidency. Barack Obama said in 2008 in Philadelphia, according to pool reporters, quote, if they bring a knife to the fight, we bring a gun. 
What would it be if Donald Trump said something similar? Uh, TJ in Cleveland. Go ahead, TJ. You're on the air. Yeah, you know, Bob, I hope people realize that as many people were murdered in Cleveland this year that have died of coronavirus. Uh, now, the left panics with the corona, and they pay no attention to the other uh, the murders. Uh, maybe we should be walking around with masks and bulletproof vests. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, there were... Well, if you, live in were certain, if you live in certain areas of Cleveland, you should wear a bulletproof vest. And there were two news stories yesterday people better take notice. One, a woman in Ohio City was carjacked, kidnapped, and robbed, not on the entertainment street at night, in front of her own home. And then the other story was crime wave hits Independence. Now, Independence has traditionally been known as a very safe community. Mm-hmm. But it's actually starting to hit there. And we know the reason for this. As the left forces the police to stand down, now the criminal element, they're emboldened. They can apply their trade thinking there's going to be very little repercussions. Sure. And and the only thing I take out of this, if you're not safe in a community like Independence, you're not safe anywhere, Bob. You're a thousand percent right, and that's all. Part, thanks for the call, TJ. That's all part of the Ferguson effect. When police pull back or are forced to pull back because of politicians, because of executive orders, because of things like um, uh, consent decrees and so on and so forth, yes, criminals are emboldened, knowing they have a much better chance of getting away with victimizing people uh, than they used to have. And you're right. If it's a place like Independence, then you know, God forbid, when you're in East Cleveland, God forbid, when you're in any community that doesn't uh, have such a reputation as being a safe city. Ten twenty one. Right back after this. Ten twenty-five. Let's continue. Robin is calling us from Lodi on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Robin, good morning. Go right ahead. Hey, good morning. Love you so much, Bob. Um, I sent you a message through Facebook Messenger. I don't know if you got it, but it details um, Kamala Harris campaigning at the Board of Elections last week and the different sections of the Ohio Revised Code that she broke. She broke two different laws, basically. And I don't know why someone isn't filing a lawsuit against her or giving her some sort of, um, you know, um, you know, consequences for going to the Board of Elections and campaigning. And if Donald Trump did the same thing, if Donald Trump showed up at the Board of Elections with a microphone campaigning, you know, the crap would hit the fan. So... Do you know anything about this? Well, you're 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 a thousand percent right. But those kinds of things, first of all, it would be just just considered a a minor uh, uh, elections violation. It would result in the slap on a slap on the wrist. Uh, uh, if anything, there would be nothing that would actually punish her or change the outcome of anything. So you know, it's worth it for them because they recognize. You know, it's funny the way you described it, uh, Robin. You said you know because she broke X number of laws. Laws don't apply to Democrats, particularly when it yeah. comes to things like elections. And I know that sounds flippant, and I sound like a smart A. I'm not trying to be, but I mean literally. That's why she had no fear of doing that. You're a thousand percent right. If Mike Pence, let's 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 try to keep it in the apples to apples, you know, here right. with the vice presidential candidate. If Mike Pence showed up in a polling location in a battleground state, grabbed the bullhorn, and started talking, even if it was just to say. Thank you, everybody, for coming out to vote. And it's so important that you're here because that's kind of what I hear that she said. She didn't say, vote for me, vote for Joe. She just thanked everybody. 
But but in doing so, we know what that is. That is an, a, a, right. an effort to ingratiate herself with voters. Oh, my God, she cared so much to come out here. Maybe I should vote yep. for her. Right. It does because have that impact. And if Mike Pence right. tried that, my goodness, you know? Yeah, yeah. Robin, I'm glad you called, and I'm thank thank you for bringing that up. I haven't talked about that uh, in large part, like I said, because I know there's no recourse. Uh, there's wouldn't be any punishment of significance that would have stopped it or that would change the behavior. But thanks for the call, Robin. Um, Ten twenty eight. Let's go to Chuck, who is in Maple Heights. Chuck, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Mr. France, good morning, sir. Um, I'm always mm-hmm. on your side. I'm listening to your show every day, and I'm just I can't agree more with a lot of the stuff you talk about and. Um, I'm a blue-collar worker, been in the construction industry all my life, and I've known more union-type blue-collar guys that will not sit up, go to their meetings, and they've been telling me that they go to the union meetings, you've got to hear all this crap, and they say, yeah, 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 and they walk out and say, we're still voting for who we want to vote for. Matter of fact, the last vote, last election, one union I know said that the people in the union hall were so mad because they were doing straw votes, on who would win, and they were getting so mad that Trump was winning every time, and they still couldn't figure wow. it out. But I want to, yeah, it's true, it's true, and you've seen that. That's why he did, but because these people turned on these people, they're they're not dumb. See, a lot of people they want to make you look dumb, but we are not dumb people. Believe me. Listen real quick. To yesterday, the, the hit squad was on. I seen on Fox News where they showed a couple spots where Elon Omar. And AOC were talking about how when Joe Biden wins and gets to form his cabinet, AOC was saying, I'd like to see a few progressives sprinkled in there. And Ilan Omar doubled down and said they need they, it needs to be an all-progressive cabinet. And that's what you're seeing. It's right now what it really is is a Trojan horse deal with Biden. You know, a vote for Biden is actually a vote for Harris. Anybody says anything different is that they're, they're full baloney. The situation's going to arise. You're going to have Elon Omar telling these Kamala Harris, here's this person, that person. She's going to listen. She's going to listen to what's going on. And if you get a progressive, I'm sorry, they're moving a train behind me in my, my job because I have to work every day. No, you're okay. You're, you're okay. You're okay. Go ahead and finish that thought. But the thing about it is, is if you get a whole progressive, cabinet turning that will turn this country into a nightmare quicker than we ever thought we'd ever seen do you agree with that comment well, I agree with it a thousand percent. I agree that uh, Kamala Harris is the actual presidential candidate running here, and she is a progressive. So the ultimate progressive, the ultimate, fo- I mean, I've said this before, and I don't mean to be too redundant on it, but Bernie Sanders is a socialist. It doesn't get more left than being a socialist. And yet, Kamala Harris is left of him somehow. And so that's the ultimate progressive on the cabinet is the president of the United States. You add that to what you're doing. And thanks for the call. I got a jet here. Uh, but you add that to uh, the fact that uh, uh, the Democrats, if Biden and Harris or Harris and Biden win the election, the Democrats are going to win the Senate as well. You are going to have more progressive senators when they do indeed expand D.C. and Puerto Rico and Guam as many as they can into states and get two more liberal progressive senators from each of those locations. So, yes, um, 
It is that desperate. It is that dangerous. And uh, every word you just said should be something taken to heart by every voter. All right, we're going to get a time out here for news. We're going to come back and talk about a lot of other threats to our great republic. And those would be in the form of illegal immigration if a Biden and Harris team were to win. Instant amnesty and pathway to citizenship? You better believe it. R.J. Hammond of FAIR is going to join us next. Okay, 1036 onward on this Wednesday edition of The Authority. Thank you for being with us. We'll come right back to your phone calls about the election uh, in a bit. But I want to pivot now. And I want to talk about, you know, a matter that, quite frankly, has not gotten the same amount of traction that it did four years ago. President Trump made immigration reform a massive part of his initial presidential campaign. Talked about building a wall, talked about um, uh, reforming uh, immigration law, talked about ending, uh, you know, chain migration, visa diversity lotteries, all of those things. And more importantly, deporting criminal illegal aliens from this country. It has gotten much, much less play in a campaign year dominated by covid and uh, race riots in the American streets. But do not think that immigration and immigration reform are still not top of the mind for many American voters. Joining us now to discuss exactly that is uh, um, R.J. Hallman. R.J. is the uh, government relations director of FAIR, an organization that I work with very closely. I like to go down to D.C. and uh, broadcast from holding their feet to the fire. Could not have that in person this year, of course, because of the pandemic. But uh, the Federation for American Immigration Reform is the organization. And R.J., thanks for coming on. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bob. Thank you. You know, I was um, heartened for about a half a second during the debate now, a week and a half ago, when Kristen Welker said, we're going to talk about immigration now. And I thought, hi, how about that? Nobody is really talking about this and, uh, you know, the extraordinarily important issue that it is. And then she says, does she ask about, you know, the impact of uh, illegal immigration on the American economy? No. On American jobs? No. Does she talk about the crime rate? No. She says there are 545 kids who are brought across the border during those caravans uh, who can't find their parents now. Uh, President Trump, this is because of your your administration's separation policy of children from their parents. What are you going to do to help these kids find their parents? I, I was blown away, RJ. I was so upset by that being the question they asked uh, about such an important issue like immigration. Since, well, let me just finish that. Let me finish that real quick. Since she did ask it, it needs to be answered, and then we'll talk about the bigger picture. What was your reaction to that, and how do you respond to those uh, accusations of five hundred some kids just being ignored by the Trump administration? Well, well, first, Bob, the only stakeholders in immigration policy, the Democrats and the media, are people that are coming here illegally. But, yeah, to circle back on the zero-tolerance policy, the kids in cages, I almost wish Trump didn't buy into that as much. Listen, this all started under President Obama, and simply what the federal government was trying to do was turn off the magnet, stop people from coming up here that are abusing our asylum system. Listen, if you're a true asylum seeker and you're leaving a country, When you first get over your border, whatever country you end up in, you should want to stay there. You finally escape. You don't go up to three other countries. That's called country shopping. People are abusing the system. But if you look at what they're talking about, the federal government has tried to contact, I believe, parents of about 485 children, okay, who are here, who are separated from them. Their parents don't want to be reunited with them. This was the whole point of them coming up here. And I'll tell you what, when an amnesty, 
is finally passed. A lot of kids who were so-called separated from their parents can then turn around and sponsor the ones who brought them up here illegally to then come to the United States legally. Listen, the system is entirely messed up. President Trump has tried to address it with zero tolerance, migrant protection protocols and things like that, that would all get rescinded almost day one if Joe Biden was elected. The, the whole system needs to be reformed by Congress. And again, you have two polar opposites that are running on this issue. You have one who still wants to work with Congress to reform our system as a whole in the best interest of the American people, both on legal and illegal immigration. And then you have another candidate who's wanting to amnesty over 11 million illegal aliens in the first 100 days in office. I'm telling you what, it's a big choice at a critical time. Not just amnesty them, but also provide free health care for them. This is something that, again, not a lot of people talk about. If you go back to the Democratic primary debate stage, not the not the Biden-Trump debate stage, but the primary debate stage, stage every single Democrat, including Joe Biden and including Kamala Harris, was asked, will you provide Medicare for all, in other words, free universal health care for illegal immigrants in this country? And every hand, including Biden and Harris's, went into the air. I don't think people understand the impact of that. First of all, on just the 11, if that number is accurate, million people who are already here illegally. But how many more are going to flood the border once they realize free health care and, and amnesty and citizenship is on the way? Uh, you talk about a magnet, it doesn't get much stronger than that. Yeah, no, and our, the number we estimate is around 15 million. But you're absolutely right. I mean, just look at some states. I think there are kind of many examples of what will happen in the future at the national level. You know, California, for example, it's not just going to be health care, Bob. You're talking college tuition, unemployment, all these other benefits that the American taxpayer will foot the bill for even as they are still in or will be recovering from one of the biggest economic crises ever. But you're right. The moment amnesty is floated out there, we're going to have a flood at the border, a caravan crisis like we've never seen before. And I'll tell you why. These people want to come in, be eligible, and commit fraud. I mean, if, if Biden is under his amnesty plan, supposed to say, oh, you've had to have come here over two, three years ago, people are still going to flood the border. And then when they try to become eligible for the amnesty, they're going to lie and say, hey, yes, I came three, uh, three years ago, even though they came three weeks ago. There will be no way to vet and check these people. The number could eclipse 20 million. I'm telling you, though, people are already lining up. Mark Morgan, the current head of CBP, is already out there warning, if Biden wins, we will see a flood at the border like we have never seen before. Again, not only is that bad for the American workers, undermines the integrity of our system, there's also public health concerns. You don't screen people coming in here illegally. R.J. Hammond is our guest with FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. It's funny you mentioned health. That was my next question. It's like you were reading my mind. In the summer of 2019, we saw caravan after caravan after caravan, as you say, coming up from Central America, coming up through saying we're seeking asylum, but rather than settling into Mexico, no, 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 we want to go one more state or one more nation north because it's, uh, you know, it's the gold standard. That's where we want to be. But um, we didn't see that this summer. To what do we attribute that? Is it just COVID? Is, is it the fact that nobody was on the move uh, in the numbers that we saw this summer? Is it because of COVID or is it because of the wall? Is it because of policy? What do you, what do you attribute that to? No, I definitely think it's a combo of both. Uh, yeah, and I think this year, 2019, the border apprehension number was right around a million. And yeah, that was cut in half. But listen, President Trump has done a lot. He's, he hasn't had Congress to work with at all. Nancy Pelosi and Democrats don't care at all about changing our asylum laws and ensuring 
you know, not encouraging people to come up here. So, yeah, he's done a lot of policy changes. He's built the wall. CBP is working hard down there. But, of course, COVID has, uh, has had some effect. It has discouraged people. But, again, he's still done a lot from the policy angle on COVID as well. He did an initial immigration pause. He banned travel coming from the countries that Joe Biden referred to as xenophobic. So had he been president, it's likely people would still be flowing in here from a lot of these hot spots. But yeah, then again, he, he, later in the summer, too, he paused to protect American workers. But again, public health has uh, driven a lot of his immigration policy over the last year of people coming in legally through guest worker programs, uh, the visa lottery and things like that. But uh, again, it's it's a lot of policy changes down at the border that uh, should be attributed to him, but also a little combo of people staying where they are. But he should be praised for his efforts uh, regardless. R.J. Hammond is our guest. He is uh, with FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. I'm going to do a little forward thinking with you here, R.J., in an optimistic way, because we just talked about the the dangers of a Biden presidency and what it's going to lead to in terms of the flood at the border and and so on and so forth. Um, If President Trump is successful, let's look positively here. If he is successful in being reelected. I know his first order of business is still going to be dealing with the pandemic and the rebuilding of the economy that was damaged so badly by the shutdowns as a result of the pandemic. At what, what, what do you expect will be his priority as it pertains to immigration if he gets a second term? Well, yeah, first and foremost, regardless on the immigration front, regardless in the second term, regardless of who wins, they're going to be focusing on the stimulus stuff if they don't address it, the lame duck session. But again, yeah, his 2020 plan that he talks about out on the trail does really offer some broadly popular pro-American immigration restriction stuff. Again, but he in his speeches right now, he's kind of ignoring at times the economic impact of immigration and why our system needs to be reformed. And again, focusing on the public health stuff. And that's all well and good. But next year, and depending, it's going to depend what happens in Congress as well, he needs to go back to wanting to reform the system as a whole. And in conversations we've had with the White House and we continue to pressure them on, there's an appetite over there to address it. But, you know, again, if uh, Democrats still control the House, which is highly likely, he's going to have to keep making a bunch of his policy changes via executive action and regulations at the agency level. For example, several weeks ago, he did a huge thing on the H-1B front, making employers pay higher wages rather than uh, undermining American workers via a guest worker program. But there's still so much more to be done on this front. They're flexible. They're smart over there. And we're confident that they'll keep doing it. While the alternative, again, is a amnesty right off the bat for uh, over 11 million people right in the first 100 days. And then going well beyond that, more guest worker programs, suspending enforcement, probably tearing down the dang wall. The choice is extremely clear and we're confident that President Trump will continue delivering on his initial campaign promises and his revised ones here in 2020. Yeah, that's important. They would exactly do that. They would they would tear down the wall. They would they would literally Literally, say we're going to pass a law saying this 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 uh, this this barrier cannot be there, et cetera, et cetera. And they would indeed try to undo the great uh, advances. Uh, Last thing, R.J., what what has fair been doing? Obviously, you know, from a public relations standpoint, holding their feet to the fire is a huge, huge part of what you do every year. I've been down to D.C. for two of the last three years, obviously not Mm -hmm. counting this year, broadcasting from it. Um, And I know we tried to do a virtual one and we had some guests on and uh, we had some ads running from uh you know for fair but um beyond that can you tell us what fair is doing in the constriction era or, or the uh, restriction yeah. area i should say that, in which we're operating right now because of the pandemic you know bob it's been a st- 
strange year, especially, you know, we're the boots on the ground on Capitol Hill. A lot of the office buildings are closed. So again, we're just, you know, using our contacts and reaching out, fighting for American workers at a critical time. We've been urging the administration at every step, yeah, pause these guest worker programs, tighten things up. This is a situation we've never seen before. But most importantly, Bob, right now, this is all about public education. We've analyzed both the Trump and Biden plans, did an estimate of how many illegal aliens would then flow into the country, how many would then sponsor their family members abroad and allow illegal aliens to control our legal immigration system going forward. How much would it cost? The American people need to understand what's at stake here, and we're giving them the information to make a sound, rational decision uh, to control our immigration system going forward and making sure that it's in the national interest, it benefits them, not people here coming here illegally, big corporations, and uh, guest workers who come here to undercut American jobs. R.J. Hammond, uh, Fair of the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Terrific information, so extraordinarily important. As I said at the top of the conversation, in 2016, immigration was front and center because President Trump made it so. There are a lot of other things taking our attention away from the immigration issues right now, and I'm glad to know that you and Fair and everyone uh, working with you uh, are keeping that top of mind, and thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Thank you, RJ. RJ Hallman on AM 1420, The Answer. Going to get a quick final time out here, so we'll have plenty of time for a few more phone calls. Dial now if you're not on hold, 216-901-0945 on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 10.52. we got plenty of time for a few phone calls here before the top of the hour on this Wednesday, less than one week from deciding the fate of liberty in America. We will remain free next Tuesday night, or we will surrender our liberty and begin the slow decline into socialism um, uh, if we get it wrong. Let's go to uh, Brexville. Jerry, you're on AM 1420. The answer, thanks for waiting. Jerry, go right ahead. Yeah, Bob, I will never buy another box of Wheaties as long as LeBron James pictures on the on the box. Amen. I think that's ridiculous to put that guy. And one other thing, Bob, I believe Obama was aware of this Hunter Biden stuff, and I would also believe that he was probably taking a cut in that. Because how can he afford a home on Martha Vineyards, what I heard, and I don't know whether it's true or not, worth $11 million? I don't know what the presidents get after they leave their term, but uh, I, I really believe he had his cut, and I wouldn't be surprised if Hillary was also involved. Well, you know, I find it interesting. Thank you uh, for the phone call, Jerry. I find it interesting always whenever we see people who enter the political sphere poor or middle class or broke and who somehow emerge on the other side as multimillionaires and compare that to Donald Trump, who is a multi-billionaire who has lost billions by by entering the political arena. Does that make sense? Donald Trump is so unique. He was a highly successful multi-billionaire, real estate developer and mogul and game show host and creator and influencer worth billions of dollars, he decides to run for president to truly serve 
You know, that's what it's called. You know, you serve the people when you run for office. To truly serve, knowing that it was going to cost him billions. He had to divest uh, of his businesses. His kids had to divest of their businesses. They're not allowed to run them uh, for all the, all the obvious reasons. He was willing to lose billions of his own dollars to run this country and to try to help recover it from the Obama malaise. And yet, on the flip side, countless numbers of liberal Democrats came into office with next to nothing and somehow retired and left office with millions. You tell me how that can be. I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer, but your question is a very, very valid one. They're not making that money after. They're making that money while they're in office in ways that uh, obviously we're not allowed to know about. Diane is in West Park. Diane, go right ahead. You're on the air. Hi, Bob. Uh, great, great show today. Um, I told Marcy what I want to talk about, but I wonder if I can make one more comment. Do I have time? Sure. Um, I mentioned my confidence in uh, President Trump winning the election, and I wanted to mention the other day, and I totally forgot, my confidence does lie in the Electoral College. I've seen some wonderful analyses and uh, that, that's where my real uh, hope and uh, confidence lies. Um, for today, I wanted to mention, we, I think we've got another problem beaten on our doors, possibly, because Governor DeWine is, uh, again, ta- threatening us with a lockdown. And uh, maybe that should wait until after the election. Uh, what, uh, any lockdown, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, just talking about it. Yeah, well, it should wait. To, it's it should wait to forever um, because it's the most ridiculous and insane thing that I have ever heard. The idea of locking us down again over a virus that has a ninety nine point nine percent recovery rate for uh, the overwhelming majority of Americans and the only American demographic group in which it rises to below that at about ninety six percent is is people over seventy with comorbidities. And even that is an extraordinarily high recovery rate. So to me, the idea, and thank you for the phone call, Diane. I know you're not advocating for this. You're pointing out that if they do do it, it should wait. Uh, But it should never be done. I've been watching these things very closely. Our friend Jack Windsor has continued to do amazing reporting on the actual numbers in the state of Ohio on the actual numbers nationally as well, with the testing being ramped up over the last several months to tens of thousands a day in each state. Uh, Yes, you're going to get more positive cases. But why would we lock down over people getting sick? And that's all it is, is people getting sick and then recovering to the tune of 99.9%. And those who need to go into the hospital, the numbers are extraordinarily low, and those that obviously, as we pointed out, you know, who, who end up on ventilators and especially those who don't make it are people in a very, very small segment of the population that can be protected. If you need to institute any types of restrictions on people's movement, mobility, etc., it would be on those in the highest risk group that, that survive only 96% of the time as opposed to 99.9% of the time. They are trying to outlaw sickness in the name of their own political power. That's it. 
They are trying to outlaw sickness. We were supposed to tamp down the curve. We did it. Then we were supposed, I mean, the, the goalposts have moved every month from March to April to May to June to July, and here we are. It, it has just been that way every step of the way. Now nobody's allowed to get sick. And if you do get sick, well, <laughs> you know, your, your life and those of everybody around you is over. Your line, what I mean by that is, of course, your restrictions are going to be extraordinary. You and anybody you know, even if they're not sick, symptomatic, or anything else, are going to be locked up, isolated, etc. This is the insanity of what's going on. I haven't talked about uh, DeWine and COVID for a few days because we're all up in the election right now. But yes, um, the idea that uh, any, any future lockdown, any new restrictions should be put into place over something that we are now better at dealing with than we were six months ago is obscene and absurd. Okay, that's all the time we've got. Thanks to my guests who joined us today. Thanks to you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Dr. Piper will be with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Have a good day.